Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So very glad to have you with us. As I mentioned yesterday, in the interest of transparency, um, I'm actually broadcasting from, from my home office right now. I have a cold. <laughs> At least every, every year um, in the fall and in the spring, I get, I get colds. And um, I'm, I'm in the middle of a cold right now. Not bad. Matter of fact, I'm, I'm getting better. But you can hear a little bit of congestion. And interestingly, this year, if you look at like all the signs of COVID, they say, well, do you have a runny nose? Well, yeah, I have a runny nose. And do you have a little bit of congestion? Yeah, I, I do. And do you have like a, a little bit of a cough? Yes, I, I have all those things. Now, to me, they're the symptoms of a cold. I am, by the way, going to get COVID tested this afternoon because you, you want to be safe rather than sorry. But, but it is a cold. And because... It's a cold, and we have great policies at Good Karma where, you know, under normal circumstances in normal years, I, I would be in at work just working through this because I really don't feel bad. I've just got one of those little colds that you walk around with. But um, our policy now is that if you don't feel well, just, just stay home. And so the great thing about the technology is that I can do the show from home while I'm recovering from what I think is, is a minor cold. Might be back at the studio tomorrow, maybe Friday, maybe by Monday. Um, again, it's just, it's a cold. So a couple people text from time to time saying, well, it, it sounds, it, it sounds like you, you've got a little bit of a cold or something. Well, I, I do. Or it sounds like it's a little bit different than when you're in the studio. Well, it's just a little bit different, but the technology is, is great. So you don't need to text in and say, what's going on? That, that, that's it. I'm just fighting a little bit of a cold, but I'm glad I can continue to do the show. A lot of ground to cover on today's program. So let's get started. The Trump administration, the Trump campaign, has announced that they are going to request a partial recount in Wisconsin. Now, we all know the results. The election, what, two weeks ago, President Trump lost Wisconsin by a little bit north of 20,000 votes. Because it was within a percentage point, he can request a recount, but he has to pay for it. To recount all the votes in the state would cost about $8 million. You don't have to do a full recount, though. You can request a recount in just targeted areas. And what the Trump campaign is doing is they want recounts in Milwaukee County and they want recounts in Dane County. Now, why are they doing that? Well, because those two counties are where 35% of the votes for Joe Biden came from. Now, recounts, and we've seen statewide recounts before on multiple occasions, that they never change results in any material fashion. You know, maybe you can pick up 25 votes here, you lose 25 votes there. There's never any sort of material change beyond a couple hundred votes. But what the Trump administration is doing is the Trump campaign is doing is they're saying let's let's look at the two counties where Joe Biden got a huge chunk of, of his margin, a lot of his votes. And if we can somehow if if 5,000 or 10,000 or 15,000 votes suddenly disappear for Biden in, in, in Milwaukee and in Dane County, well, maybe that will justify us spending more money to, to try to expand the recount or something like that. That's, that's kind of the thinking. The idea is let, let's go where all the Biden votes are and see if 
there's some irregularity that we can find that will take away some of those votes. Now, the, the bottom line of this is, if this was 500 votes or if it was 1,000 votes, I, I might say, well, you know, hang on to your hats. We'll, we'll see what ends up happening. But a margin of 20,000 statewide, it just seems to me that it, it's just too large to overcome. But as long as the Trump campaign is willing to, to pay for it, they, they have the right to do it. Now, it's interesting, in the Journal Sentinel story about this, you know, one of the representatives in Madison who's just denouncing this, saying that this is, uh, again, this is racist uh, voter suppression. How dare they concentrate and demand a recount in Milwaukee and in Dane County? Well, again, you, you want to dial back the rhetoric. The reason they're demanding a recount in Milwaukee and Dane County is, again, that's the key. If somehow they can find irregularities and problems with a large number of the Biden votes, well, then then maybe it's a basis to go forward. I don't think any of that's going to happen. The other thing that requesting the recount will allow the, the Trump campaign to do is continue to pursue some of the issues and concerns that they have with regard to practices that were implemented during the course of the election. And that's where I want to start our conversation. I, I want to talk about one thing in particular that, that happened and discuss whether or not it's something that the legislature needs to make sure never happens again. And I'm talking about this thing called democracy in the park. What happened was, in Madison, the clerk's office set up tables in a variety of parks throughout the city. And what they would do is these parks, they were staffed by employees of the clerk's office. And what would happen is if you had requested an absentee ballot, so you had to have requested an absentee ballot, the absentee ballot is mailed to you. You fill it out, you get it witnessed, you then, t under normal circumstances, you would either send it back or you would take it to City Hall and you would drop it off or you would put it in one of those ballot collection boxes. That's how you would normally do it. As part of democracy in the park, what would happen is on, on one or I think two weekends, they would have like tables at the various parks and the tables were staffed by employees of the clerk's office. So instead of mailing the battle the ballot back, or instead of putting it in a drop box, or instead of taking it down to City Hall, you could go to the park. You could go up to one of these tables that were staffed uh, again by government employees and you could drop it off. Right, that, that, that's it. And you, again, they weren't giving out ballots. These were only for people who had obtained ballots, had filled them out. They were just offering a, a drop-off center for this. All right, our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I know it's irritated some people. As I, I've talked about over the last two weeks, not seeing any sort of material evidence of fraud which would cause me to call into question the results of this election. And I'm not suggesting that there weren't irregularities, and I'm not suggesting that there might not be some instance where somebody went into a nursing home and, and maybe um, violated the law by filling out ballots on behalf of uh, a couple of the residents or something like that. I, I'm sure, or at least I would not be surprised if that happened on an isolated basis. But I'm saying I have not seen examples of widespread sort of fraud. But one of the issues that, that, again, is sticking in a lot of people's craw is this whole democracy in the park thing where people could go to the park and give their ballots to clerks, 
that were, were there. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I think Republicans miss the boat when we obsess too much on practices that are designed to make it easier for people to vote, but at the same time really don't open the door for fraud. And I look at this democracy in the park thing, and I think all all they're really doing is making it easier for people, more convenient for people, to drop off their ballots. It's it's not like they're opening new in-person voting sites. It's just, hey, you know, instead of having to come to City Hall or instead of having to put your ballot in the mailbox, you can drop it off with a government official at, at a table in the park. 855-616-1620, 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Not only do I not think that's fraud, I actually think that that's, that's a great idea. And moving forward, I'd like to see more of that done, not just in Dane County, but maybe in Ozaki County and maybe in Washington County and maybe in Waukesha County. Make it easier for people to return their ballots. What's the problem? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in a moment. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, democracy in the park was more or less a cover for Democrat voters. They might as well have said, "Drop off your Biden votes here." Well, okay, it, it was done out in Madison, so I I understand that the vast majority of the people that were going to vote in Madison were going to vote Democrat. I I get it. So that, but that doesn't mean to me that it's something that shouldn't have been allowed. Uh, maybe that means that that moving forward. Other communities need to be more aggressive in that. Maybe they should be doing it in Waukesha. Maybe they should be doing it in in, uh, in Walworth County. Maybe they should be doing it in Ozaki County or Washington County. But to me, I, I think when it, when it comes to trying to analyze elections, what we want to do is you want to try to make, stop fraud. But the key to growing political parties, whether it's Republican or Democrat, is making it easier for people to vote and then doing a better job of turning out who your voters are. And I guess I look at this and say if you can if you can drop a ballot off in a ballot box or in a drop box somewhere at City Hall, why shouldn't you be able to give it to somebody from the clerk's office who who's sitting at a table on a Saturday afternoon in the park? It's the same thing, isn't it? Joanne in Waukesha. Joanne, you're on WTMJ. Yes, I think it's a great idea to have the drop it off at the park. If you have already registered, you have your vote in your hand. It's easy. It's convenient. And I think it gets others like that have not voted at this point or have gotten a ballot at this point. Like, yeah, this is an important thing, a democracy thing, just to get out and vote and get your voice heard. I love it. I wish they would do it in Waukesha all over. Well, well, right, exactly. And, and this is different. When, when this was originally presented, some people were saying, oh, they're giving the people ballots. No, it's not. It's just all it was was a collection effort. They were making it easier for people who had already obtained absentee ballots to return them. And I guess it just try as I might, I don't see that as a I don't see that as a bad thing. We want to encourage people to vote and make it easier for people to vote, don't we? Exactly. I totally agree. I think it's a smart idea. It's you don't have to worry about running to the courthouse wherever you need to drop it off. You can 
you have your ballot in your hand, you know you've pre-registered, you've right. gotten your approval, you've gotten your ballot, and you're good to go. You drop it with someone you trust. You could, right. It no, was hard thanks, to trust the yeah. mail this year. Well, no, thanks so for calling you. And see, and, and, and see, and this is my message to to legislators moving forward. This is the trend, like it or not. You know, mail-in voting is going to be the trend. And and again, I'm the guy that likes to show up and and vote on election day, and I like to do the in-person voting, even though I, or, or, or the early voting, you know, the in-person absentee thing. I like you know to make sure that my ballot gets there. And I understand there's all sorts of people that don't think we should have mail-in voting, but the reality is that ship has sailed. It, it, it just has. So now moving forward, I think the challenge for political parties is to figure out how. We can make it easier for people to vote. And then the parties have to say, okay, how can we take advantage of this to make sure that we can get our voters out to vote? Let's make it as easy as possible to do that and try as I might. And look, and I appreciate that there's real concerns of fraud about things. I, I just don't understand you know, having essentially another collection place to go drop off ballots, how that induces fraud. Now, clearly, look, I I understand, you know, this was something that was done in Dane County. It was done to try to maximize what I think would be, you know, reasonably assumed to be a larger Democrat turnout. But that doesn't mean it's fraudulent. It just means that, I don't know, maybe, you know, the Republicans need to work on some of the clerk of court's offices in the various counties that you're going to have a huge Republican turnout and make it easier for people to vote as well. Here's a text, Jeff. I agree. Republicans are on the wrong side of the issue when we argue against easier voting. As long as votes are authenticated, then they're allowed to vote. We should make it as easy as possible for everybody to cast their votes. Um, Jeff, dropping off a ballot with a clerk's office employee in the park sounds much more secure than a ballot box. Frankly, I'm shocked that we didn't see more ballot boxes being set on fire prior to Election Day. Jeff, I totally disagree. We should have in-person voting only. The easier it is, the more fraud there is. Okay. Uh, well, now, now, first of all, well, let, let's take that up. There, There has always been absentee voting. I mean, I remember the first time... I voted for president in 19-whatever. I, I was away at college, and I requested you know, an absentee ballot because I was not going to be in Milwaukee on Election Day, but this was my residence. I requested an absentee ballot. I got it in the mail. I filled it out. I sent it back in. So, I mean, we've always been able to vote by mail. Now, admittedly, they have, they've liberalized and that's a small L, liberalized, the, the, the way you can vote absentee. It used to be that you had to show that you were unable to go to the polls on that day. Now you just have to say unable or unwilling. But, and so they've, they've made it easier to do that. But, but here's the bottom line. I guess I just, I'm not convinced that there's any sort of evidence of, of rampant fraud by allowing, you know, again, the, the early mail-in voting. There, there hasn't been any major showing of that, and I don't think you're going to see it. The problem is it is here to stay because I think as more and more people see it's convenience, it's easy, you get to vote, and then you don't have to worry about it. You don't have to stand in line on election days. The idea that we're going to be able to turn back the clock and that we're going to go back to where it was almost impossible to vote early or vote absentee, I I just don't see that happening. The future is 
early voting. The future is early absentee voting. And it seems to me the challenge, rather than try to fight that for political parties, is to figure out how to embrace it and how you can use those systems to legitimately legitimately turn out as many of your voters as possible. So again, I, I understand the president's asking for these recounts in these two sta- in these two counties. I, I don't contrary to some of the representations, I don't think it's racist or anything like that. It's simply trying to see, okay, is there some irregularity in the big Biden strongholds? I will be shocked if they find any. My guess is there won't be much of a switch of votes at all, and ultimately the Wisconsin uh, votes will be certified. That's my sense. But, you know, moving forward, let's figure out on both sides how to be smarter. We don't need to throw around the allegations of fraud if there's no evidence of that. Just need to figure out, okay, how can we make the system work more efficiently, better, and how can parties use this to get their voters turned out? Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us, as long as we're talking about the elections. I just saw that President Trump had fired Christopher Krebs. You you might not know who Christopher Krebs was, but he was, for the last two years, he'd been working with Homeland Security, and, and his job was to essentially protect the integrity of the election. Um, we, we didn't want to, they didn't want a repeat of influence from you know outside forces russia china whatever and, and he was in charge of cybersecurity for the the election by all stretches of the imagination the guy did a great job just did did a great job there, there's no credible evidence right now that you had the election system that was hacked or that there was major problems now i understand we're doing recounts and things like that and, and that'll all work its way through the process but as of now there, there's no evidence at all and no reason to believe that the integrity of the election process was was hacked into or was any in fact compromised so i mean i think you know, everybody, including like lots of very, very conservative Republicans in both the House of Representatives and in the Senate, applaud the job this guy did. Well, um, yesterday, last evening, President Trump fired him, uh, apparently because he's President Trump was upset that Mr. Krebs, who worked for two years in maintaining the integrity of the electoral process, um, President Trump got mad when he said, look, you know, we, we, we think this was an honest election. There's no evidence of fraud at all. And President Trump didn't want to hear that, and he ended up firing the guy. Now, I understand, you know, when you work on one of these jobs, you serve at the pleasure of the president. So the president can fire you for any reason or no reason. But this is one of these just weird times where apparently you had a guy who did his job did it well, and he got fired for doing his job, doing it well, and then saying to the American public, hey, you don't have to worry, we stopped, we made sure that this election was on the up and up. And that's what gets you fired. Something wrong about that. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eric was just telling you during the news that the saga of Joseph Mensah is at least appearing to come to an end. This is one of these situations to me where it's 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 probably the right thing, it's the right result, but at the same time, 
It's unfortunate, and I think this officer was treated extremely poorly by some public officials in Wauwatosa and by members of the mob. Let's let's review the bidding here. I mean, Officer Mensa, uh, Wauwatosa police officer for a number of years, he had been involved in three separate shooting incidents over a multi-year period. Now, I, I understand that for many police officers, they, they go their entire career and they never have to pull out their firearm. All right, in this case three situations where he had involved in shootings. At the same time, when you're a police officer, you you just never know what you're going to confront. You know, you, you don't get a choice between saying, hey, I, I'm only going to do the, the answer to the call where there's somebody complaining about a dog barking. You don't get to do that. You, you go up and you look at situations on a, on a different, on a case-by-case basis. And in the case of Officer Mensa, he was involved in three officer-involved shootings. First one was where somebody was attacking with, like, a sword. The second one was where he confronted somebody who was sleeping or in their car late at night. The guy reached for a, a gun, and there was a shooting. Both those incidents were ve- were investigated fully, and they were determined to be legitimate. The third situation is probably arguably the, arguably the most legitimate of all three of them. Situation where Officer Mensa, together with others, called to Mayfair Mall, um, what, February a year ago, and what ended up happening is that there was a report there was a 17-year-old who was in possession of, of a firearm, and everybody knows the circumstances. Um, apparently, the, the kid brandished the gun. The officers fired. Unfortunate, you've got the 17-year-old who was, was killed as a result of this, but you still have the 17-year-old that was in the situation brandishing the gun, all right? And case was investigated fully, determined that it was a legitimate sort of shooting. Well, I understand that because this was Wauwatosa and because you have people who are upset that you had, in this case, a 17-year-old kid who was killed, you you had people who decided to, to protest. And you had a series of protests in Wauwatosa over the course of the last several months, a small group of people, I mean, we weren't talking hundreds, you weren't talking thousands, but you were talking a a vocal group of people who were very, very unhappy. They took it out. They decided to storm Mayfair Mall on multiple occasions. You had the situation where they showed up at Officer Mensa's girlfriend's former home. Somebody fired a shotgun through the kitchen door. All those different types of situations. And the mob kept clamoring and clamoring and clamoring that we want Officer Mensa fired. He had been suspended without pay. And the story is that apparently they've cut a deal where he will be resigning at the end of the month. There's a separation agreement. Uh, The details have not been made clear. But my guess is he's going to be paid some money to leave. That that would be my guess. Don't know for sure. It'll at some point in time become public. But the, the mob... The, the people who wanted him fired, they're, they're not happy about that. They're upset that he was able to stay on the department as long as he did, and they're upset that um, he's going to be able to resign, and he's probably going to get some sort of settlement. Now, the reason he's going to get some sort of settlement is because, first of all, to try to prove that he was involved in misconduct would be a lengthy battle that the city may or may not win. Secondly, I, and I've argued this before, I think it is in the interest of everybody, starting with Officer Mensa and the community and the Wauwatosa Police Department, for 
Officer Mensa to move on. Now, that might be unfair because you say, well, Jeff, you're the guy that's saying it. You don't think he did anything wrong. And, and I don't think he did anything materially wrong. Certainly nothing that would justify him losing his job. But, but here's the problem. At some point in time, you can occasionally become such a lightning rod that your ability and your effectiveness is compromised. And unfortunately for Officer Mensa, I I think he had reached this point. You know that there would be people in the community, that loud vocal minority, but people who would be completely and totally unsatisfied that he was on the department. Every time he would be testifying in a trial, you understand that he would be the subject as opposed to, you know, what, what it was that he was testifying about. And... While I don't think it's a basis to fire him, I think it's quite clear that if Officer Mensa was on the streets moving forward, you would have at least some members of the community that would set out to try to provoke him into a response. Bottom line is, I think it's just kind of an untenable situation. So to me, it makes sense that they're able to cut some sort of agreement where they send Officer Mensa off to pursue, again, whatever he's going to do next. And I don't know what that next thing is going to be. And like I say, my guess is, as part of the separate agreement, there's going to be a payout of sorts. It's unfortunate that it happened like this. In some respects, I think Officer Mensa is being treated unfairly. But at the same time, I think for the community, it's best if he moves on. And if that means that the city of Wauwatosa pays something in settlement to help him move on, I think that's a good thing, but it's nothing for, you know, what really struck me is once they announced he was going to be moving on, I still see a press conference or statements from some of the usual suspects, some of the people associated with the anti-police, anti-Mensa mob, who are still absolutely outraged that he wasn't fired in the first place, and they're not happy with the police chief, and they're not happy with the city, and they don't like the fact that there was a separation agreement, and you mean we might even have to pay him some money? How can you do that? I think this is the right result, but it doesn't change my belief that I, I think Officer Mensa kind of got screwed over. 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think it's important for Wauwatosa to move on. This is, I think, a positive step towards that. But again, in my mind, at the end of the day, I don't think Officer Joseph Mensa was treated fairly over the course of the last several months. What do you think? 855-616-1620. We discuss. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, You know, it's very clear. Barry Weber, long-serving police chief in Wauwatosa, I I think he would be the first to tell you that he believes that Officer Joseph Menza was treated unfairly. Um, And essentially because you have a a small, and it is a small group of people, the mob, who decided to go after him and make him a target. But the result of this is that, you know, putting him back out on the streets would have been a, a problem. There, there's just, and, and it's, that's not fair, but it's just kind of the reality that sometimes you become such a lightning rod for things that your ability ends up being compromised. So that's 
That is the unfortunate situation that I think Officer Mensa found himself in. Now, I have no truck at all with the, uh, again, the members of the People's Revolution or whatever they want to call th- those folks who are saying, oh, he's a murderer, he needs to be fired, and um, there's that, the Wauwatosa mayor, the Fire and Police Commission are complicit with continuing to pay a murderer. Well, that's just crazy talk, and th- that's crazy talk from the kook fringe. He's not a murderer. He's a police officer who, in three separate situations that were all determined to be justified ended up having to use lethal force that's not a murderer and the rhetoric by some of these groups doesn't help it's not contributory but at the same time there is this reality that's out there the guy had become an incredible hot potato so at some point in time I think you have to decide, all right, what's in the best interest of the community? Now, again, I don't know what the separation agreement is. My guess is that they're, my guess is they're paying him some money. And you know what? They, they should pay him some money and to, to do that, and then he's going to move on. Okay, texts. Uh, Jeff, no, no police officer in his or her right mind will want to work for the city of Wauwatosa. Well, I don't know. I mean, that's that, that's always the risk you find. That, 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 well, that, are you afraid that for the ne- the next time that you are a police officer and you're involved in a legitimate shooting, and some group decides that they're going to be upset with you and they're going to try to target you and they're going to stage protests at Mayfair Mall or Southridge Mall or wherever that's going to be, and they're going to try to pressure civilian leaders to force you out? Do you think the city has your back? Now, I think in this particular situation, I think that the city of Wauwatosa, I'm not talking about some elected officials, but I think the police department and the city of Wauwatosa, I I think they stood by Mensa. And and I think at some point in time, you just get to that point where you say, you, you know what? It's best for all parties to, again, move on and figure out what you're going to do with the rest of your life. Now, I, candidly, I, I hope Officer Mensa is able to, you know, con- if he wants to continue in law enforcement, might not be in the state of Wisconsin, but if he wants to continue in law enforcement, I hope he has the opportunity to do that. But I think in Wauwatosa, you know, it, he's probably a situation where he has been compromised. And, and yeah, I hope he got a decent settlement out of this. Jeff, although very unlucky, I think he's a very good officer. I hope he can move on and that some other department away from the Milwaukee area will be honored to have him as part of their department. I hope that the same mob that got him to resign doesn't get even more powerful for other departments in the future. These people should not be directing law enforcement. Um, yes. Thanks, Jeff. I totally agree that Officer Mensa is getting a raw deal. In my opinion, he was doing his job. Well, yeah, he's getting a raw deal, but at the same time, again, sometimes you, you just got to recognize that this is the way it's going on. And I'm, I guess I'm trying to put myself in, in Officer Mensa's position. Given the fact that you've got at least a certain vocal segment of the community that is convinced and is committed to trying to make your life hell. I mean, they showed up, you know, with toilet paper and shotguns outside his girlfriend's home on a Saturday night. That tells you the extent that some of these people are going to go, and you know it's not going to go away. So if you're the officer, you're in a position saying, okay, why do I want to go through this, you know, day after day, knowing that every time I'm out on the streets, every single thing I get is, I do, is going to be, you know, examined and re-examined and re-examined, and I know that there's going to be at least a certain segment of the community that's going to be trying to do everything they can to push my button, to try to 
find some evidence that I have engaged in misconduct to try to antagonize me. And, and you know that's just the situation. I mean, heck, that's what law enforcement people face a lot of times on a daily basis. And can you imagine what it would have been like for Officer Mensa? Jeff, they were even stalking him when he was going out to eat, getting gas and groceries. Um, I, there's videos of that on multiple occasions. Jeff, he was not treated fairly. Um, gee, and did you know that some of the people who were agitating are not <clears throat> even from Wauwatosa? Yeah, that's it. Jeff, that mob you're talking about was enabled by Wauwatosa elected officials. Yes, it was enabled by some Wauwatosa elected officials, including one who has subsequently resigned. Those officials should be ashamed of themselves. But the bottom line is we're, we're bringing it the curtain down on the Officer Mensa situation. I don't think it's fair what happened to him. I don't think that the mob should take any pleasure in what they did. Don't think they should be proud of themselves for what they did. But the bottom line is, I think it's important to close this chapter of this book. And by paying Officer Mensa, reaching a separation agreement, parting ways, I think it's good for everybody. Now the question is going to be, what happens the next time you have some 16 or 17-year-old that pulls a gun on a police officer in Wauwatosa? How is that going to play out? Hopefully it will never happen, but time will tell. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. This is Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. Hey, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. Number of new postings, including, well, one of the, the classic examples of, of do as I say, not as I do. The governor of California, Gavin Newsom, is he's one of these guys that whenever he looks in the mirror, he sees a president looking back at him. He's incredibly politically motivated, and he's trying to use his position, I think, as governor of California, ultimately to try to advance himself to the White House. He will, in my opinion, try to run for president at some point in time in the future. But, you know, California has been one of the many, many places across the country and the world where COVID-19 has been exploding. Now, interestingly, California has essentially been on a lockdown for months and months and months, really strict rules, and, and still the numbers are spiking, which makes me wonder whether the, the lockdowns are, are effective because we've had you know places where you've had the mask rules that have been aggressively enforced, and they're still seeing the numbers that absolutely go through the roof. But, but let's put that aside for a minute. But California has very, very strict rules on the limits, on the, on the number of people you can have at parties, and what you have to do when you socialize and things like that, and they've been very aggressive in enforcing them. As a matter of fact, a lot of businesses have really been trying to push back because they're saying, we've complied with all this stuff, we're not the problem, we do all these different things, and yet you're killing us, Governor, with all these different requirements that you're putting in. So that's kind of been the battle. And of course, Governor Newsom, he's been one of the people who does the virtue signaling, no, 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 You know, we, we have to do this, we have to keep everybody safe, this is what we have to do, we're all in this together, etc., etc. Well, great story that apparently it is the uh, do as I say, not as I do deal. There's all these photos about Governor Newsom, apparently a little while ago, he decides to um, go to a very, very swanky dinner party at Napa, you know, in Napa, where um, 
I don't know, apparently he's with a large group of people, no masks, everybody bunched tightly together, and they're also, uh, matter of fact, they're, they're so loud that other people in the restaurant complain. Um, now that he got busted doing it, he says, well, I, I guess... I guess I ended up making a bad mistake by doing it. Well, I, I don't know if he made a bad mistake by doing it. He made a bad mistake by imposing requirements that the little people have to follow and then deciding that he didn't have to pay attention to it. Gee, if I want to go to a dinner sponsored by one of my big campaign donors, well, the rules don't apply to us. And unfortunately, he, he found out the hard way that they do. Um, in addition to that, uh, story in the Wall Street Journal that I sent out today as well. The interesting analysis of the whole defund the police movement. And remember, we, we, we were talking about Joseph Mensah just a couple uh, minutes ago, and that was one of the things that some of the, the protesters and the mob were all about. We've got to defund the police. The police are our enemies, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, that was one of the chants that, you know, came out during the summer. It was also a political wedge issue and the wall street journal has a really interesting piece today and and guess guess what defund the police was not a winning strategy matter of fact uh candidates and communities that adopted this well all right the liberal candidates didn't do very well um so i guess my, my thought was gee it turns out that defund the police wasn't a winning political strategy who could have possibly guessed well, the answer is just about everybody but those who would have been on the kook fringe. If you want to check out the article, again, I sent it out on Twitter. You can follow me at JeffWagner620. When we come back, is anybody going to pay attention to what they did in Dane County yesterday? We will discuss. Stick around. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. So glad to have you with us. All right, if, if you ever wondered, you know, what happens to presidents when they leave office, well, and you ever worried that, yeah, I wonder if they're going to run out of money or something like that. You, you really don't need to because one of the big avenues is that they end up writing books. Now, now for example, uh, Bill Clinton, he was paid $15 million in a book advance for his, his story. Hillary Clinton, who was never the president, Hillary Clinton was paid $14 million for her story. George Bush, George W. Bush, he was paid a $10 million advance to write his memoirs. And um, I think as most people are aware this week or last week that Barack Obama's book dropped, which is why you know he was making the appearances in 60 Minutes and things like that. The Obama deal was a record. He and his wife, Michelle, cut a, a deal where they were both going to write books, and their combined book deal was somewhere between 60 to $65 million for, for both their books. So you're talking about, you know, big dollars. Now those are book advances. And and the advances are essentially the money you get up front and then you don't necessarily get to keep all of the advance because if you don't sell books, you might end up having to pay some back. But you get the idea. 10 million for George Bush, 14 million for Hillary, 15 million for Bill Clinton, 65 million for the Obamas. So clearly the publishers at least think that there is a huge market for presidential memoirs. 
All right, which brings me to the 64, I was going to say $64,000 question, but it's actually probably a $64 million question. Let us assume, for the sake of argument, that the litigation that President Trump is talking about doesn't work out, and that come January, one way or the other, he leaves the Oval Office and Joe Biden becomes the, the next president of the United States. All right, if you are Donald Trump, What's the first thing that you try to do, you know, moving forward? And, and that, that's easy. You try to cut a book deal. Now, he's written a number of books before. The, probably the most popular one and the best known one is, is his book called The Art of the Deal, which sold more than 630,000 copies. But, but he's written a, a whole number of books, or either he's written them or he's um, – you know, had a ghostwriter that's written them, but he, he's had seven, eight, nine books. Obviously, none of those books would generate the type of revenue potentially that a, a presidential memoir would have. Now, of course, with the memoirs, there, there's a couple different issues. First of all, is there anything left to say? I mean, it's not like the Trump administration hasn't been pretty much of an, of an open book over the course of the last couple of years. And President Trump has pretty much taken to Twitter anytime he felt like it to express his opinions on things. Is there really anything else that he has to say? Secondly, despite the fact that 70-plus million people voted for him, a lot of the people that work for the big publishing companies and stuff, you know that they're, they're not Trump fans, and they would be extremely upset if big money was doled out to Donald Trump. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Would you buy a memoir written by President Trump? So let's say he cuts the big deal. He's then in a situation where, hey, the book is coming out in a year or two. Would you be one of the people in line at the bookstore ready to shell out $29 or $39 or whatever it would be for the Trump memoir? Is there anything you think the president has left to say that you would be either, one, find of interest, or number two, find of interest and be willing to pay the money for it? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I have to confess... I have several of those presidential memoirs that I bought that are sitting on my desk, and um, they're, they're kind of, I don't know that I've gotten around to reading, I don't know that I've gotten around to reading any of them. I, it's just, it's all, I think I'm going to buy this, I'm going to get around to reading it someday, and, and I never have. And so I don't think I'm going to buy President Obama's book, and candidly, not sure I'd be buying President Trump's either, in part because I don't know what else there is to say you know, for the last four years, every thought he's had, every different interaction he's had, he's kind of been up front about it. He's put it out there on Twitter. Is there anything left to say? 855-616-1620. Would you buy a book by President Trump? We discuss in just a moment. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, if President Trump as it turns out, loses the election if he leaves in January. I think one of the first things on his agenda is going to be to try to cut a big book deal. Barack and Michelle Obama got 60 to $65 million in advances for their books. All right, would you buy a book by President Trump? Let's start with Troy in Door County. Troy, you're first. Good afternoon. Hi. Yeah, no, I, I would not, uh, I would not uh, be interested in buying a book from uh, the publisher there because of uh, – 
I, I'm ready to wash my hands, I guess is what I'm saying. And the only way that I'd, be, I'd do anything involving money is if Trump was at a, com- at a, at a comedy club because he's a comedian. That's about it. So I, I, I'm moving on. And uh, I would suggest the rest of us just do it. Let's move on. we got bigger do you, and better let me, ask, let me ask you this. Do you have, would you have any interest in reading Barack Obama's book that just dropped in the last week or so? You know, you know what? I, I think I'm going to. And I tell you what, I, I enjoyed great amount watching him this weekend when he was on 60 Minutes at CBS Good Morning. I mean, it, there's just such a difference between the people. Um, and I, I think about buying it as a gift for my wife so uh, for Christmas. So I think I might do that instead. So. Okay, there you go. Good enough. Thanks for the call. Mark in Brookfield. Mark, you're on WTMJ. Would you buy a book by President Trump? Only if it was unedited and it wasn't ghostwritten, so we could really see Trump's incredible grammatical skills. <laughs> well, you know it's not going to be unedited, and you know it's going to be ghostwritten. That would that would kind of be my guess about that. So so the answer is no, you're not, you, you really have no interest in what he has to say. No, like the other guy said, he's such a joke, and it's a sad statement. But uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't give him one penny of my money. Interesting. Thanks for the call. I appreciate. It. Now, uh, here's the bottom line of this, though. You got to keep in mind, and this is, I, I, I've been saying this for the last four years. When it comes to President Trump, there, there's no middle ground. There are, and you can just look at the voting totals, there are 70-plus million Americans who voted against him, who can't stand him, who think he's the Antichrist. And there are 70-plus million Americans who are just despondent that it appears that the numbers did not work out. I believe that there's going to be a huge market for a, a Trump Look, I, I just I, I believe that to be the case. Now I understand that that half the population isn't going to buy it, but my guess is, you know, if if I was a smart publisher and you could get the deal done at a decent price, you get the deal done, you tie it around a Donald Trump, I, I don't know, book tour and stuff. I, I'm just here to tell you. I mean, I you know, you, you saw those, those MAGA rallies. Well, I, I can imagine I can imagine him packing places for book signings and things of the like. Now, again, I, I don't think I would buy it, and it really doesn't have anything to do with the policies. It's just that I'm not convinced that there's anything that would be in it that would plow, you know, new, new ground. Like I say, this president has been as transparent as they could possibly be about his different uh, opinions, and he's been very clear as to why he fired this person or why he fired that person or, or whatever. But I think I think there would be a huge, huge market for this. Don in Waterford. Don, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking the call. Great topic. Sure. Uh, you know what? I would absolutely buy a book from him. And I still have yet to, to buy Art of the Deal. But I listened to the first one hour of Art of the Deal on audio on YouTube. And I was blown away by all the phone calls that he makes and all these connections that he builds. So in regards to your last two callers, I mean, he's a hardworking man, and I can only imagine who he's calling in the position he's, you know, in for our country. He's just constantly making phone calls and talking to people, and he's really, you got to listen to that first hour of Art of the Deal to blow your mind. Don, what do you think would be in his presidential memoirs that you, you wouldn't otherwise know? Um, that would that would inspire you to go and, and put down, you know, 40 large or something, 40 bucks on, on a book. What do you think would be in there that would cause you to do that, to buy it? You know, I'm a, uh, a salesperson. That's my career. So I think more of a motivational for me to light a fire under, you know, behind me to just kind right. of give me more drive and motivation. 
and okay. to see what he's doing. I think more of a, probably from a motivational standpoint. Okay, how he did. Okay, thanks for the call. I, I appreciate it. I mean, I, you know, and again, it, it's, you know, people get to decide how they're, they're going to, to do that. For me, I, I mean, I, I love... I, I love biographies. I love to try to understand you know, how things have developed over time. Um, again, I'm just my thing with the, with the Trump thing is I, I don't know. I don't know that there's going to be anything more there that I'm going to learn from it. Okay, here's some text, Jeff. No well-respected publisher will want the name on his book. Well, <clears throat> I don't know. Seventy-one million people voted for him. That's a huge, huge potential audience, and I think. Respected publishers are in the business of making money. Jeff, um, five million more hate him. Um, Jeff, the MAGA crowd doesn't seem like their literary type. <laughs> I don't know if that's necessarily the case. In any event, he's going to sell a book. He's going to sell a lot of books, and a lot of people are going to buy it. Back with more in just a minute. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I would say I have at least a dozen texts. <clears throat> and, of course, what we were just discussing is the question of, of, of would you buy President Trump's book? And even though I, I'm not sure it would plow any new ground, and I, I'd have to really think hard, long and hard before I shelled out money to do it, um, there are 71-plus million people who voted for President Trump. There, there's a huge market for this. I have at least a dozen texts that say, oh, Nobody's going to buy it because nobody that supports President Trump can read. At least a dozen texts like that. And, and I guess I think about that stuff, and it just kind of makes me shake my head. Because here, here's the bottom line of, of this moving forward. We continue to be an extremely divided country. We, we, we just do. And if, if those on the left are of the impression that you know all those 71 million people who elected Republican senators and elected Republican congressmen and voted for Donald Trump, that all they are is illiterate racists. All right, well, th that's not going to get you very far because I understand that you know you people have this, this virtue signaling and this elitist stuff that's out there. But the truth is we are a very, very divided country. And I guess if that's going to be the attitude, well, Trump supporters can't read, et cetera, et cetera, you're, you're not going to have much hope of trying to find too much common ground. And the, the bottom line is if that's going to be the attitude, you're not able to reach out, what you need to realize is that you know two years from now or four years from now, well, these, these elections are all about pendulums and things swing back and forth but again at least a dozen texts oh trump supporters can't read and i don't think it's necessarily tongue-in-cheek i i understand that that's the attitude that's out there and it's kind of disappointing to me because the bottom line is if we're going to get anything done in this country especially given the likelihood that we're going to be looking at divided government bottom line of this is that we're going to have to figure out a way to get along at least on some issues and that that kind of attitude isn't necessarily constructive hey let's talk about some good news the uh two different things very very positive on the covid19 front now look here's the bottom line of this we're we're going to be in a mess with covid19 until we get a vaccine and until the vaccine gets distributed that that's just that's just the bottom line now you know we, we can talk about lockdowns we can talk about social distancing we can talk about wearing masks and all those things but 
but all across the country and all across the world, the number of COVID-19 cases are, are spiking. And it, it's spiking in places where people have embraced the idea of wearing masks and have embraced the idea of social distancing. And we have done lockdowns and things like that, and, and the numbers are still going up. And that's not to say that people shouldn't wear masks and do all these things, but it's pretty clear to me that, that COVID is a pretty powerful foe and that all these different things we can do and we do minimize or maybe reduce the risk of getting it, but, but none of them is perfect. And so until we get a vaccine, until we get herd immunity, we're, we're going to be dealing with this issue, to which my point is that the sooner the better. Well, okay, the newest announcement, um, over the last week, you've had a couple different announcements from both Fiserv and Moderna that they have vaccines that are at the point where they're ready to be submitted to the FDA for safety review and for effectiveness review. And Moderna came out, what, the other day, said, you know, their test is showing 94.5% effectiveness in preventing COVID-19. Fiserv came out yesterday, said uh, their vaccine safe and 95% effective, and they intend to apply for emergency approval within days. If this is granted, what's going to happen is it might mean that by by mid-December, you're going to start seeing the vaccine roll out. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody's going to have a chance to get it in in December. That, that's not going to be the case. It's going to go to emergency situations. It's going to go to healthcare workers. <clears throat> it's going to go to the people who are most vulnerable. But, but it's an important step in the process. So this is really, really good news. If you've got two vaccines that are ready to be submitted to the FBA, FBA the, um, to the FDA, and they're showing an approval rating of uh, about 95% effectiveness. That's an incredible number. And if if that works out, then the challenge is going to be how do you get it into widespread distribution? But I think I feel more optimistic than ever that at least maybe in the first quarter of 2021, you're going to start to see widespread availability of the vaccine. Now, I understand that doesn't mean that everybody's going to get it, um, everybody's going to be willing to take it, all those different things. But the sooner it's out there, I think that's the light at the end of the tunnel. The other really good news is a new study that's out on immunity. One of the questions has always been, gee, if you get COVID-19, can you get it again? Now, typically, you know, once you have a virus, you, know, you, you don't get it again. But there were some studies out there, and they had some some isolated cases of people that they thought may have been reinfected. Now, they're looking at these studies, and I think more people are saying it's, it's not that somebody was reinfected. It's that they were never really cured in the first place. But anyhow, there, there's a new study that's out there today that suggests that immunity to the virus may last decades may last decades. Eight months after infection, most people who have recovered still have enough immune cells to fend off the virus and prevent illness, according to new data. So if if this is true, and again, we're in the early stages of this, but if it's true, what it means is if you've had COVID and you've recovered, your chances of getting COVID again are very, very remote. Now, again, can't take this to the bank. It's just that one study that suggests this. But the idea that, hey, if you've gotten sick, 
you're probably not going to get sick again with it. That is extremely good news, once again, as we try to move towards herd immunity. Look, there, there's not too many silver linings when it comes to the pandemic. I'll be the first to acknowledge this. But, uh, you know, vaccine on the horizon is good news. Immunity for those people who have already had it, that's great news. So let's take a couple positive steps. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Starting at 12.01 today, it became illegal in Dane County for you to have anyone over to your home. Um, we, we broke this news on the program yesterday. Dane County has now issued a ban on all indoor gatherings. That is all indoor gatherings. So you are not allowed to have anybody over to your house who is not a member of your immediate family. That is who lives in, in your house. So for Thanksgiving, a week from tomorrow, if you intended to, I don't know, have your mother and father over for Thanksgiving dinner, that would be illegal. And you would be subject to up to a $1,000 fine for having people. Used to be that the gatherings were limited to 10. In Dane County, they're now saying, no, we're not going to limit them. It's now, it's nothing. You are not allowed to have people over to your house. No indoor gatherings at all with people who do not live in your residence and a fine of up to $1,000 if you do. Now, it's kind of interesting because in New York, for example, they have sort of, New York has not gone as far as as Dane County has. In New York, uh, they have an order which limits the size of inter- interior gatherings to six. That That's kind of the idea. Um, actually, no, I'm sorry, ten. Ten is what it is. There's a ten-person cap. There's a big story in the New York Times about all these sheriffs in, in New York who are saying, we're not enforcing that. You know, we're, we're not, not going to be going around and peeking in people's bushes on Thanksgiving, and we're not going to be counting to see how many people are, are sitting around the Thanksgiving table. In Madison, though, they're very serious about this. So Dane County... I can see a situation where, I don't know, you go over to your parents' house for Thanksgiving, you go in there, you park in the driveway. I don't know, are we going to have health department or sheriff's deputies or city police officers driving up and down the streets looking for homes where, I don't know, there's a couple cars that are parked in the driveway and then going to the door and banging on it to see whether or not there's actually somebody from outside that immediate household that's there? Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I have believed for the longest time that imposing orders that have no realistic chance of being enforced and have no realistic chance of being followed are are just an exercise in futility. And, And candidly, by doing that, you tend to weaken the, the orders that you want to put into place. Now, I understand why there's an effort out there to try to discourage large gatherings. I understand why you might want to discourage people from traveling for Thanksgiving, and I understand why you might want to try to encourage people, okay, don't, don't get together to watch football, don't get together for Thanksgiving this year because we've got COVID. I understand all that. But at the same time, to put in an order that says you're not allowed to go over to anybody else's house and it's up to a $1,000 fine, 
my question is, will anybody obey this? And will anybody enforce it? Is it even practical? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And again, I, I just think things need to be reasonable. And unfortunately, we, we lose sight of the fact when you get some of this extremist stuff that, that's out there. I understand why they're saying limit gatherings to no, no, no more than 10 people. I understand trying to discourage people from getting together and going to the large parties or whatever. But saying that we're not going to allow you to have your son and daughter-in-law you know, come over for Thanksgiving. We're not going to allow the neighbors from across the street or from the next apartment over to, to walk down and come in and, and sit in your apartment and have a drink. To, to say that, I think, is just absurd. I don't believe anybody is going to follow it. Well, I shouldn't say nobody. Some people will, I guess, follow it. But I don't many, believe many people will follow it. And more importantly, I don't think that you have any realistic way of enforcing this. And I guess my point would be, if you do, that's probably an indication that you don't have any real crime going on in the People's Republic of Madison. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this order enforceable? Now, it might be advisable. It, it, it might. Maybe that's the thing to do. And maybe everybody should just hunker home this Thanksgiving, not go out, not interact a, at all, and just wait for the next month or two. Oh, maybe that makes some sort of sense until we get a vaccine. But at the same time, telling people that you cannot have anybody over to your house, I, I think, is just absolutely unenforceable. And candidly, I think it breeds... I don't know, resentment to other things that maybe are more important that you might really want to be encouraging. So have the idea of visiting people's houses in Dane County, is that now gone for the next month? 855-616-1620. Let's talk to Mike in Madison. Mike, you're first. Good afternoon. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised they went with this. I don't know if it's a test run for the state or what, but you know, maybe in the city there's going to be people that follow this, but I don't, I can't imagine people are going to pay attention to this. And I can't imagine, I mean, no one's going to enforce it. I don't know why they would. I mean, they're just going to piss off their constituents. So very few people support this, even the ones that support well, Evers and Dane County Public Administration. So, Well, well yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to imagine this situation. So what's going to happen a, a week from tomorrow? Are we going to have the police department and the health department, seriously, like driving up and down streets, looking for multiple yeah, cars that are no. parked in driveways and then banging on the doors? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're already overworked. I mean, in Dane County, the sheriff's department is so understaffed. We have the largest county in the state. There's no way on earth the Dane County sheriff's going to run around the county looking for this. I feel bad for them. They're already overworked and underappreciated. We all appreciate them living in the county. But what are we doing to them? What's the message we're sending? I mean, I, I actually think it's going to backfire big time politically if people remember it. But but really, I think it's a test run. I think they're going to see if he can pull this off and let's just push it on to the state for Christmas. And and again, I think well, it's going to blow up. I mean, no, no one's going yeah, to listen to this. Yeah, no, th- thanks. For, no, I, I don't think anybody's going to listen to it either. I mean, I, I think, you know, it's uh, I, I, Governor Evers. I, I don't think he would try something like this to say that you, you can't go out of your house or you can't have people over. Now, you can advise people uh, about that to, to do it. But I, I will tell you, in the, now, if there was ever a place that maybe you could make it work, you know, maybe it is, you know, Dane County where people tend to be, you know, we're going to comply with whatever government tells us to do. But, I mean, the reality of this is I, I think – you want to talk about something that's going to lead to widespread civil disobedience, that this, this would be it, saying that, you, you know, if you decide that you want to have your, your brother and, uh, you know, his wife 
over for the four of you for Thanksgiving dinner and you've been part of the bubble or whatever and you're not allowed to do it. I mean, I think a lot of people are just going to say that's way too far for government to do. Now, that's different than, of course, saying, you know, we don't think it's a good idea for you to take, you know, a hundred of your best friends and pile into the beer tent. That's a whole completely different story. But maybe it is just a, a trial balloon and if they figure they can make it work in Madison. But at the same time, look, Madison has had other orders that I'm willing to bet nobody's been paying attention to. I mean, the rule, of course, is in Madison, if you go over to somebody's house up until now, now you're not allowed to go over to anybody's house, but if you went over to somebody's house, you were required to wear a mask inside. Again, another unenforceable order that I, I think was kind of widely laughed at and and ignored. So and people would say, well, you know, don't you understand we have to stop the spread of COVID? Yeah, I, I get it, but you don't stop the spread of COVID by imposing and putting in these edicts that people aren't going to follow. Period. You have to have stuff that I think people will agree with. And it's one thing to say, all right, no large-scale parties or things like that. It's another to say you can't have anybody over to your house. Good luck with that. And from the perspective of, you know, there was a piece I was reading the other day about it's really been amazing how many freedoms people have given away. I mean, I, I would have never guessed a year ago that you would have government agencies that would tell people you can't have anybody come over to your house i mean just just think of think of what that is in in a free country that you would have somebody say you can't, the government would say you can't have people come over to your house not hey look we know we're concerned about covid and you want to make sure that everything's safe and you know if somebody's running a fever don't come over whatever but no you can't have anybody come over to your house and if you do and it doesn't matter whether they're related to you or friends of yours or whatever if you do you are liable for a thousand dollar penalty think how far through the rabbit hole we have gone that in america you now have government agencies that are saying nobody over to your house period for the next 30 or 60 days or whatever this is i would have never thought we would have gotten here but we are back with more in just a minute this is jeff wagner you're listening to jeff wagner on wtmj jeff my sister-in-law canceled thanksgiving by her house only the two are going to eat together parents did have covid don't know where my father-in-law got it my in-laws were sick, better, and now they're out of quarantine, but why take a chance and have people t- over to her house? And see, and, and I understand that. that That's decisions that, that people are going to be making on an individual basis. Like I say, in, in my family, an extended family, we typically you know, end up with a, a Thanksgiving that has about 30 people. That's not going to happen this year, just because of a decision that people have made. But I don't need the government of Dane County telling me <clears throat> that if I want to have my my brother or my son-in-law and uh, my stepdaughter over for a meal, I'm not allowed to have them in my house. I, I'm, I'm sorry, that's, that is not the government's role. Now, the government, I think, has every right to say, all right, we don't want you to do stuff that has a likelihood of spreading COVID, for example, or we don't want you to have the large gatherings. But for the government to say you cannot have people over to your house, I think is way too far, and I don't think people are going to end up following that. 
Jeff, that's just it. Everyone voted for the governor, and they're going to be the ones that are going to be least likely to listen to the law. Jeff, as a retired police chief, I can tell you, there isn't a chance in heaven that my officers would enforce that stupid rule. People have suffered enough during this pandemic. That's a no-win and a no-brainer from the start. I feel sorry for the guys still on the job today. Um, Jeff, how dare the city government tell me that I'm not able to have my family over? I pay my mortgage, my electric, my gas and water. If not more, I pay my taxes. And until that I do that, I will not... I will have people over if I want. Jeff, I go to my father-in-law's house twice a day to help distribute his medicine. Is that now illegal? Good good question. It, it may well be. Jeff, uh, the sheriff could be running plates of vehicles sitting on driveways to see if there are people at a home that do not live there. Only way I could see them being able to do that. Just silly. Yeah, can, can, can you imagine? I mean, that's the assignment that you get on, on Thanksgiving. You're the guy that's supposed to drive through a, a neighborhood in Dane County, and whenever you see cars that are in the driveway, you're supposed to run the plates to determine if they come back registered to the place. Can you imagine doing that? Jeff, unenforceable orders like this are just for political benefit. When elections come around, the people who crafted the legislation will claim they did everything they could to protect people, but in reality, they are doing absolutely nothing. Jeff, what right does the government have to tell you what you can and cannot do in your home? This is unbelievable. Well, there there are... I mean, there are limitations. You know, you, we, we say, at least in some communities, that you're, you're not supposed to, it's illegal to shoot up heroin, whether you're in your home or not. But that's different than saying you can't have, you can't have people over. Jeff, would they need a search warrant? I wouldn't let them in. Well, uh, I don't know. It's the health department. Interesting question. Jeff, I look forward to seeing the survive a First Amendment challenge. Um, Yes. Jeff, I heard through the grapevine they're going to use drones. Look in people's windows. Beware. Keep your curtains closed. Can you can you imagine that? You can see the Dane County executive out there with the drones trying to say, okay, let's see where we go. Jeff, so if I lived in Dane County and I babysit my granddaughter, is that illegal? And will I be subject to the same fine? Yes. Yes. I, I, that's the way I understand the rule. The rule is <clears throat> you are not allowed to go over to anybody else's place and, and go inside. That That's it. So if, if you go to babysit your granddaughter, sorry, not able to do that anymore. And again, I... I understand in the big picture the fact that they're trying to discourage people from traveling and interacting. But by having these just sort of crazy, draconian rules that real people are not going to follow, what you do is I think you get people rolling your eyes and they tune out to realistic stuff that people should be doing and rules that people should be following. Uh, Jeff, I guess they have nothing better to do in Dane County, even after defunding the police. Well, you've got that issue there as, you know, well, um, let's see. Bill says, the final scene from the movie Christmas Vacation keeps popping in my head, where the SWAT team comes crashing through the windows and doors of Clark Griswold's house. Is that what's going to happen if you gather too many people together? Will the police come crashing through your house to arrest you? Well, um, you know, maybe. Jeff, what a waste of taxpayers' money to make such an enforceable law. It trivializes the situation. I think it's ridiculous. Yeah, I think it's ridiculous, too, and you're absolutely right. It trivializes the situation. All right, when we come back, here's a situation where I think pretty much everybody is wrong. I will explain, and we will discuss. Stick around. This is one of these stories where 
I, I don't, I'm not sure that anybody is right on this. We, we talked about this yesterday. A rally, Sir Paul, on Saturday, uh, 500 or so people, and it was a pro-Trump rally. What ended up happening is the health department rolls in and essentially shuts the place down. The manager at Sir Paul tries to get people to comply with requirements. Uh, the crowd does not. And he gets he gets knocked around by members of the crowd. Completely and totally unacceptable. Just completely and totally unacceptable. The health department then issues citations to Sir Paul. I argued yesterday. I, it makes no sense to me. Sir Paul is trying to. They're trying to comply with the orders. You've got crowds out in the parking lot that aren't. I'm not sure I see it as their fault that you would give them multiple um, multiple citations. Now that the fallout is, at least according to City Hall, that Milwaukee police are going to be required to accompany health inspectors on safety responses because after this Trump rally, what happened is that there were some death threats that were made and some harassment that was directed towards the health department. Now, first of all, I mean, people really need to grow up. I I mean, seriously, the people that are there from the health department, they're trying to do the best to do their job. And to harass people, to make threats at people, to push people around because they're there trying to enforce the rules is childish, it's criminal, it's wrong. So people who are doing that need to end up growing up. There's no question about it. Anybody that's involved in harassing or trying to intimidate or threatening these public officials deserves to be prosecuted, and and they really need to, again, like I say, they they need to knock it off. At the same time, I I do, I I can't get past this idea of how this whole thing happened. Now, the, the rally had been scheduled for a while. What the health department says is that, and I'm quoting here, that they had received a complaint about the then-proposed event on Friday. So the event had been scheduled. Obviously, what happened is that there was somebody who I suspect was anti-Trump who heard that they're going to have a Republican, a Trump rally there, and then filed a complaint in advance with the health department. And then the health department decided that, okay, we're we're going to show up and we're going to end up shutting this down. Now, the health department says nothing political here at all. We're we're just enforcing the rules. I guess here's the thing. Clearly, there was a political element to this. Clearly, whoever made the complaint in the first place, I think, operating with some political motivation. The health department, I understand, you get the complaint, you have to investigate these things, and they say, oh, no, there there was no politics to this at all. That's all well and good, but here's going to be the challenge moving forward. All right, next time... There is a Black Lives Matter rally. Next time there is an election celebration. Next time there is any sort of large group that decides to gather at a venue, the question is going to be, will the health department take the same approach that they took at, on Saturday at Sir Paul? And by saying this, I am in no way, shape, or form condoning what happened on Saturday. I think it was childish. I think it was boorish. If people were getting threats made to them, I think it was criminal. But, all right, the city says no political motivation at all, but yet they acknowledge that, hey, well, somebody tipped us off to this and filed a complaint before the event even occurred, so it, it was on our radar screen. Okay, that that's fine, but now the city has set the rules. I expect a vigorous enforcement by the health department, regardless of the politics, period. I think that's fair to say. But as far as the people that are threatening the health inspectors, 
grow up. Back with more in just a couple minutes. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So glad to have you with us. Tony Evers reminds me of, of the character in that, that old kid's story, The Emperor Has No Clothes. You know, the, the idea that the, the emperor um, ends up walking around naked and because everybody says, oh, what a great suit of clothes you have on. So he's walking around naked. So suddenly there's a kid that says, well, you're, you're naked. And everybody says, yeah, that, that's it. This, this idea of just imposing these orders and orders and pretending that there's not this reality that's out there just makes no sense to me. Now, I, the, the, the governor has just extended his mask order through January. Now, again, I'm, I'm not debating the, the validity of, of wearing masks or not wearing masks. As I said, when I, when I go out in public, I, in, in, inside spaces, you know, stores or whatever, I, I wear masks. I think most people do. I know some people disagree with that, but I think most people do. Not if you're sitting at a restaurant because you can't wear a mask when you eat. I think in general, certainly in the vast part of our listening area, most people end up using masks masks and we do it because we recognize it's the right thing to do you can argue about how much it is going to make you safe but at the end of the day it can't hurt so i mean i guess i figure why not do it but the governor keeps imposing these orders well the problem is it's very very apparent that the governor doesn't have the legal authority to do it and in the case was argued in front of the state supreme court what the other day on monday with the case was argued and if you know, you talk to court watchers, and they're pretty clear that the governor is going to lose th- this lawsuit. And yet he keeps imposing these order after order after order without regard for the fact that he doesn't have the legal authority to do it. And it's almost just sort of like this bizarre thing. It's like the governor still complains, well, you know, the Supreme Court tossed out my safer-at-home order in May. Well, and so it's all the fault of the Supreme Court. Well, it, it, the point is the governor doesn't have the authority to do do this. See, here's the way the law works. The law says that in a medical emergency situation, I think it's very, very clear, the governor can impose orders for up to 60 days. You've got an emergency for up to 60 days. And and you can, yes, you can impose the safer at home order or whatever. But at the end of 60 days, you lose the authority to unilaterally do that. We don't elect dictators. You have to then go to the legislature, and the legislature has to get involved. Now, you can criticize the Republicans in the legislature for not getting involved. That, that's fair. But that doesn't mean that the governor just has the unilateral authority to keep imposing order after order after order and keeping them in effect in perpetuity. I think the law is very clear about that. So I guess I'm listening to the governor say, well, I'm going to impose this order. And maybe you agree it's the right thing to do. Maybe you disagree. But the governor misses the fundamental point that he doesn't have the legal power to do it. So you, know, you can impose all the orders that you want, and, and maybe you're trying to do it to score political points. But at some point in time, don't you need some extension to reality saying, okay, look, I understand that this case is before the Supreme Court. I'm not happy that those evil Republicans say that I don't have the authority to do what I don't have the authority to do, and I wish they just turned their heads and let me do whatever I want to do, well, that that's not going to happen, period. It, it's just not. So you can maybe agree, like I say, maybe you think he's doing the right thing, maybe you support the statewide mask mandate, That that's all well and good, but it doesn't change the dynamic that 
If the governor doesn't have the legal authority to do it, he doesn't have the legal authority to do it. And he doesn't appear to be willing to at least acknowledge their significant likelihood that sometime in the very near future, he's going to lose that case. And so maybe rather than just extending orders that he doesn't have the authority to impose in the first place, you need to move to to plan B. Plan B maybe being you leave the executive office, you walk down, you go down and, and you sit you sit at the door of the legislature. You want to talk about, you know, creating a photo op, you just sit there and you wait for Scott Fitzgerald or Robin Voss and you say, Okay, I, I am here, let's go into a room and, and let's talk. Maybe that's the way that you get the whole thing started. Just saying. Okay, let's completely and totally switch gears. Honda. Honda is coming out with a new redesigned sedan. The, the Honda Civic, let me pull up the numbers here. The Honda Civic is year to date, it's the top selling sedan in, in the country. Slightly more than the Toyota Camry and slightly more than the Chevy Equinox and a little bit more than the Nissan Rogue. Those are the top four selling sedans, but it's, it's all really, really close. But what's happened is uh, America has fallen out of love with cars. America is in love with SUVs. 47% of the vehicles sold last year in the U.S. were SUVs. 22% were sedans, and the rest were like light trucks and, and things like that. But people aren't buying sedans anymore. And what Honda is trying to do is they're trying to figure out, you know, a way to reinvigorate interest in the sedan. So they've just they've just rolled out their next generation Civic, which is um, I, I think it's going to be targeted at at younger car buyers it's going to be targeted at people who want to spend 20 grand 20 grand on a car instead of 30 35 grand on a car but they're they're very aware of the fact that the the sales of cars as opposed to SUVs trucks etc it's starting to crater our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I have not owned a, a passenger car since, well, gosh, since the 1990s. I mean, I had a Toyota Camry, but then I, I got my first SUV. It was a Ford Explorer, and then at Ford Escapes and Honda CRVs. I, I, I've been one of those guys that went, went the SUV route, and candidly, I, I'm not sure I, I'm ever going back because of a variety of things. I, I like sitting up a little bit higher. It's easier for me to get in and out of, of the cars. The uh, gas mileage is, is comparable. But, I mean, I, I'm, I'm sold on, on the SUVs. Honda is trying to reinvent the sedan. And at least right now, Honda and Toyota and Chevy and Nissan, they're fighting a losing battle against SUVs and light trucks. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I don't think passenger sedans are going to completely disappear ever, but I think it's going to take a lot to get people to give up their SUVs and their trucks, and I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. So if you're in the market for a vehicle, SUV, or the passenger car, would you go back once you made the trick to the once you made the switch to the SUVs? Why why are passenger cars, the sedans, why are they not selling like they used to? 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in a moment. 
Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We're talking cars in this segment of the program. Um, Honda has just come out and, and run out a redesign of the Honda Civic, which at least in the first half of this year is the number one selling uh, car, a sedan. But the problem that they're finding is that not a lot of people are buying sedans. It's only about 22% of the market, which is now being dominated by SUVs and light trucks and things of the like. My question is, you know, is this the wave of the future? Will people continue moving forward to buy sedans? As somebody switched over to SUVs in the 1990s, it would be very, very difficult for me to go back. I admit, I, I like the extra room. I like sitting a little bit higher. I like the added space that you get in the cargo area. It'd be tough for me to go back, especially given the fact that gas prices right now are, are so low, and I believe that they're going to be low for the foreseeable future. You know, if you were looking at $4 gas prices, you know, I could see how that would drive people to want to go away from the SUVs to the smaller cars, but that's not going to be happening anytime soon. 855-616-1620. If you're in the market for a new vehicle, SUV, sedan, why, why not? Let's start with Gianni and Montello. You're first. Good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. Uh, listen, Jeff, I, I own three vehicles, um, uh, 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 a 30-year-old uh, Camry, uh, a 20-year-old uh, Subaru, and a uh, 20-year-old T100 pickup. I realized that um, the, my oldest car, my Camry, while I can get 52 miles to the gallon out of it on the highway, it is not that safe of a vehicle. It's a light vehicle. Looks great, but I, I think people now are opting out for for safety. And if they have to give up uh, gas mileage when it's only you know when we're hovering around two dollars a gallon, um, I, I think your best bet is is um, to pray for low gas prices and uh, buy the bigger vehicle. It's much safer. These modern vehicles, uh, and and yeah, another thing, no, I'm with they you. don't they, they don't rust. They don't rust the way the old vehicles used to rust. Right, Johnny. Thanks for the call. Well, I, I do think that the one thing that that really strikes me is is the difference in invisibility. We were in uh, a week or so ago. We were, I said we week and a half ago, we were, my wife and I were in Florida, and just for a couple of days, we, we rented a car, and I had, gosh, I forget what I, I it was a Chevy Malibu, that's what I had, you know, and it's it's the first time in a while, it's the first time since the last time I'd rented a car in Florida, I think, where I, you know, I had a passenger car, and it, it, it was fine, handled well, was kind of fun to drive for a day or two, but the one thing that I, I did notice is the visibility, first of all, it's it's lower to the ground, so you know it's it's harder to climb in and out of. So you know that was that. But secondly, it, it was the whole issue with visibility. Um, when you sit with the high, higher up in the SUVs, I just get a ton more visibility. And so, to your point, Gianni, on the whole idea of safety, I that I think is what the appeal is. Jeff, I'll never buy an SUV. I own a truck and a car. I use my car for everything except what I need my truck for. Big stuff, hunting, pulling my trailer, etc. Jeff, I believe the true SUVs are built on truck frames, the very popular crossovers on car frames. They ride like a sedan, storage like an SUV, best of both worlds, I think they're tough to beat. Jeff, I love my Chevy Cruze. I work from home, put very few miles on it, so why would I pay more for an SUV when I don't need it? If the weather is bad, I stay home. 
Well, yeah, I mean, that's, I, I guess th- that's it. And you have that appeal of the reasonably priced car that's out there. I mean, that, that's what the Civic is trying to do with Honda. They're trying to roll out something that is stylish, but is going to appeal to the market of people who want to spend twenty grand instead of thirty or thirty-five. Jeff, I'm in my early thirties. I don't have a family, but I really enjoy the space of a large SUV for hauling things. Eventually, it'll be nice for the family. But right now, being able to haul sports equipment and other things is very, very nice. Jeff, <clears throat> my wife has an Expedition. I have an F-150. You can't put a piece of plywood in a car. Jeff, I currently drive a Honda Accord mainly for the gas mileage. I don't think sedans are selling because people want higher-profile cars. I get that. And with gas being cheaper, they can afford to buy the SUVs. Yeah, I think that's it. Uh, Jeff, I love my 2006 Acura TL. I plan to buy a new TLX soon. There's too many SUVs out there. I love driving a car. Jeff, SUVs are frustrating as a car driver can never see around them. I don't understand the appeal of the SUVs. They aren't, in my opinion, always the safer option. Well, I, I do... I understand. See, to me, there's the SUVs, and then there's like the the Ford F-150s and stuff like that. The things that you know run, they put in the parking space, and you really can't see around them. So I, I get that. I think there's a happy medium. But the bottom line is, if you're looking at the way consumers are spending money. Uh, now's a great time. If, if you're in the market for a car and you're looking at going the sedan route, now's a great time for it because, uh, again, there's not that many people collectively that are buying the sedans. not saying the passenger cars are going to go away, but it's down to 22% of the market, and that tells you that people you know, are willing to pay for larger cars. They like the added roominess. They like the visibility. They like the profile of the SUVs, and that's clearly where the automakers representing and recognizing that's where the dough is. That's what they're, they're starting to come out with now. So uh, check out the new Civic if you're in the mood for or thinking that you might want a, a sedan because the people that make the sedans are trying to figure out how they can get more people back into that market. I think it's going to be a tough challenge. When we come back, we're going to find out what John McCure has on his mind on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around.